0: So let me start with a story. Some of you have heard this story, but some of you are newer visiting it, and you haven't heard this story. But the month was December, and the year was 2002. And Deirdre and I had no kids at the time. We were, we were up early, and we were getting ready for work that day, and we had the news on. It was the Good Morning America show. And being early December, they were talking about Christmas, and specifically that day they were talking about Christmas cards. And the subject that day was, what is the politically correct way to send a Christmas card? And one of the anchors said, hey, if you're sending a card to a Christian, put a New Testament verse on the card. But then she said, if you're sending a card to a Jewish friend, don't put a New Testament verse on the card, put an Old Testament verse on the card. And this was her reasoning. She said, Because the Old Testament doesn't talk about Jesus anyway. Now, I was in seminary at the time. I'm like, well, that's not what my professors told me. But uh, but I learned something that day. You know, you you learn. And I was like, wow, did did that anchor really say what I think she said? And um, I learned that many people in today's world don't think the Old Testament talks about Jesus but maybe what's even more important is that that anchor did not even know what Jesus said about the Old Testament in Luke 24:44. We're going to put this verse on the screen. Luke 24:44. This is one you have to know. This is one of those verses that teaches you how to properly understand the Old Testament. This is after the resurrection, before the ascension, and Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, we, we talked about this verse and this picture, but we need to review it today. Okay. In the Old Testament, the Jewish mindset, they had their their Old Testament Bibles. And in the Jewish mind, the Old Testament was broken up into three parts. The first part is the law, or in Hebrew, what's called the Torah. The second part is the prophets, or what in Hebrew is called the Nevim. And the third part is the writings, or the Psalms. And in Hebrew, that is the Ketuvim. So Torah, Nevim, Ketuvim. If you take the first letter of Torah, if you take the first letter of Nevim and the first letter of Ketuvim, and you put the letter A between them, you see it vertically written there, you get the word Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Jewish Bible. Okay, it's what Jews use uh, when they study the word of God. The law, the prophets, the writings, the Torah, Nevim, Ketuvim, the Tanakh. Now, according to Jesus... The entire Old Testament, that is the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, the entire Old Testament was all about Him. It was all about Him. The Bible teaches us that it's about Jesus, not just from Matthew to Revelation, but from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Word of God is talking about Jesus. So friends, I mentioned this story to you today because what are we learning? We're learning that Hebrews is the handbook to the Old Testament. In fact, in our text today, I just said we read seven Old Testament quotes, right? We read one quote from Deuteronomy, that's the law. We read one quote from 2 Samuel, that's the prophets, and we read five quotes from Psalms, That's the writings. In this one passage, friends, you have the Torah, the Nevim, the Ketuvim, the Law, the Prophets, and the writings. So what we learn is that the Old Testament doesn't just predict Jesus, the Old Testament is all about Jesus. Because this New Testament author is taking these Old Testament texts, putting them in the New Testament, and says, this is talking about Jesus. And what we continue to learn is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than, than everything that went before him. That the law and the prophets and the, and the writings were pushing towards a climax, and that climax is Jesus. But specifically today in this text, the Bible te- is teaching us that Jesus is better than angels. think about that for just a moment. Jesus is better than angels. And to do this, he uses those seven Old Testament texts. So today, the author of Hebrews is writing his handbook so that we understand the Old Testament. And he's going to explain to all of us how to properly view the Old Testament. And he's going to teach us that Jesus is indeed better. Today, he's better than angels. Turn on the back of your bulletin and look at it with me. This is our outline today. Two main points. First of all, we're going to talk about what I call the wow factor. And then secondly, we're going to talk about Jesus being better than the angels in these following ways. In his title, in his worship, in his kingship, and then finally, as our creator, Jesus is indeed better. So let's zoom in and talk about that first point what I call the wow factor. And we'll put that picture up on the screen of the wow factor. Think about this with me. What wows you? What impresses you? What takes your heart, your mind? What gets your attention? I'll tell you what got my attention in the fifth grade. My parents took me to see World And I remember back then, they had the people in the water with the whales. And I remember one of those guys got on the nose of Shamu the whale, and that whale jumped out of the water with that person on his nose, and that person went flying in the air, and it dove in the other side. And as a fifth grader, I said, wow. And I said, I want to do that one day. I didn't work out. (laughs) As I got older, I began to be wowed by different things. I can remember the very first time I laid eyes on my wife. Now, for those of you who know my wife, uh, you know that she's an identical twin. And we all went to college together. My buddy Mark and I were driving down the road, and here comes these two girls looking identical. And I was like, wow. And I looked at Mark, and I said, God made two of them. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And then, you know, I got a little older, got into college and, and seminary, and then I, w- I was starting to be wowed by certain professors, uh, certain preachers that I would hear in, in seminary. You know, it, all of those things are good within their own context. It's good for a husband to be wowed by his wife. It's, it's, it's good maybe to, to say, hey, that was a good sermon or a good talk. But can't we agree upon something? can't we agree that none of those people should ever wow us like the Lord Jesus should wow us? Shouldn't we agree that the creation should never get in front of the creator when it comes to the wow factor? But you see, what was happening in this book of Hebrews was that these Hebrews were letting the wow factor, in this case angels, wow them so much that they turned their eyes off of Jesus. We remember the story. These Jews heard the gospel. They trusted Christ. They were following hard after Christ. And somewhere down the road, they got somewhat disinterested in Jesus. We found out last week it's because they didn't really know everything about him. And they started to look to the right and to the left. And in some cases, they looked behind them as to what angels had done in the past. And they said, wow. Wow. Man, an angel coming was more wild to me than Jesus being born in a barn, and I want to focus on angels. Now, when I talk about angels this way, you're probably like, Adam, what are you talking about? Angels? Who's wowed by angels? You know, when we watch TV or the movies, the, the TV movies, they don't do a very good job of describing what the Bible says. It an angel. The TV and the movie, they say, it's this mild, soft-mannered, human-like person who flies around and is just peaceful and nice all the time. And that's kind of all you get from the world. But friend, have you ever dug into the Bible and learned what the Bible says about angels? This week, one of our ladies' Bible studies that met on Thursday morning, uh, they, they were able to watch... Uh, a seven-minute clip from Sam Storm. Sam is a reform professor at Wheaton on the doctrine of angels. I got to watch the clip as well. It's fantastic. Uh, so let's just take just a minute to see what the Bible says about angels. I'll use some of what Sam said in that in that video. But did you know that the Bible teaches us that angels are both powerful and feared by men? Think about this. In the Bible, God gave angels power to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God gave angel one angel power in 2 Kings to kill 185,000 Assyrians. That's some power. We know it was the angels who moved the rock in front of Jesus' tomb. They're somewhat powerful, and they were given that power by God. But angels are also feared by man. Do you know, it seems like every time you read the New Testament or the Old Testament and an angel shows up, people are scared to death. I grew up Southern Baptist with a KJV, and I remember that Luke 2 passage when the angels appeared to the shepherds. It says they were sore afraid. Who knows that passage? Y'all know? Oh, yeah, there's some KJV people there. They were sore afraid. When the angel appeared at the resurrection, those soldiers were scared out of their minds. They fell over like dead men. And every time the angel shows up, what does he got to say? Fear not. Fear not. It's because the angel came with power. The angel put fear into the heart of man. That's not what you learn from the movies, is it? That's not what you learn watching Tom and Jerry. People just turn into angels floating on a cloud. That's not what you learn. The Bible says, the the world says they're mild and gentle. The Bible says they're empowered. They cause fear. Let's read a little bit of what Isaiah says. Y'all know this chapter, Isaiah 6. That's where we get the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Listen to this. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Think about looking at this angel. Each had six wings, two to cover his face, two that covered his feet, and two he flew. And he called to another one and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Is that what you learn on TV? I don't think so. That's a good job. So let's just stop for a second. Think about this with me. If you were one of those early Hebrews in the first century and you knew everything, not just what I just told you, but everything that the Old Testament said about angels, not what the TV tells you in the year 2023, but what the Bible tells you about angels, you can begin to understand why the Hebrews were like, wow, wow. I'm impressed with angels. They bring the wow factor. This Jesus guy didn't come with a wow factor. He was born in a manger, in a barn. I like the lights and the smoke. I like this wow factor. Because angels come with swords and smoke and brightness and power. Angels must be better than Jesus. Angels have the wow factor. So let's focus on angels. Friends, I give you all of this as background because this is the way the Hebrews are thinking. And you're not going to be able to understand these Old Testament texts unless you understand that background. So with this in mind, the author begins to teach these Hebrews. And what tool does he use? He uses the Tanakh. He uses the Old Testament, the thing that they love the most, right? Right? And seven different times he quotes from the Old Testament to teach us how Jesus is actually way better than angels. So let's dive into that second point now. Jesus is better than angels in four ways. Know these words, in title, in worship, in kingship, and in as a creator. So let's zoom in at number one. Let's look at the title. Now, let me just stop for a moment um, before we jump into this. Because my mind can't help but think about this New Testament author writing this passage. And this is how he studied the, this is how he did his Bible study. Just think about this. He had his Tanakh right here, and he's looking through. He's looking through the Torah. There's Deuteronomy. He's looking through the Nevim. Oh, there's 2 Samuel. He's looking through the, the Ketuvim. There's the Psalms. And he's taking those, and then he's writing them down over here in the New Testament and teaching us how to see this Old Testament through the lens of Christ. So he's diving back and forth. You hear pages, like you can hear pages turning, right? You can hear pages turning, or scrolls in this case, being used as he does the study. But the first thing he says is, Jesus is better than angels. On your outline, do you see on, on the title? I have two Old Testament verses. Psalm 2:7, 2, 2 Samuel 7:14. Let's reread those. It's verse, it's verse 5 from our text. Verse 5 says. For to which of the angels did God ever say, "You are my son, today I have begotten you"? That's Psalm 27. Or again, "I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son." That's 2 Samuel 7:14. Okay. Question for you. In a kingdom, who has a greater status? Is it the messenger of the king or is it the king's son? We all know the answer, don't we? The son of the king has a greater status than the messenger of the king. Did you know that the word angel literally means messenger? So angels are simply God's messengers. And we learned just a minute ago that angels have the wow factor, don't they? But even though they have the wow factor... The wow factor is to never supersede the son. You see, the Bible teaches us, the Bible teaches us that no angel has ever been given the status of son. In fact, no angel ever, ever received the status of God's son like Jesus did. No angel has ever come close to to being the son of God. No angel calls God Father. And even though angels come with brightness and smoke and power, they're simply messengers. And they're not the Son. So friends, what are we learning today? We're learning that Jesus is superior, He's greater, He has a better title than angels. We could say Son of God is greater than messenger of God. You might say, Adam, that's great. But what in the world does that have to do with me? (laughs) Listen, for every one of these, we're going to stop and we're going to ask this question. How do I apply this in my life? Let's ask that question now. Let me start with this. What wows you? What takes your mind and your heart What impresses you? If there is anything in your life that wows you so much that you turn your eyes off Jesus, we have a problem. Now for these Hebrews, what was it? It was angels. I'm doubting that's what it is for you. (laughs) But I ask you, what is it? What is wowing you so much that as you walk towards Christ, you start start looking to your left and to your right. You start looking behind you and saying, that is better than Jesus because it wows me. It comes with smoke and lights and mirrors. It wows me. Maybe for you it's a relationship with a guy. Maybe it's a relationship with a girl. Maybe you're wowed by maybe a certain professor or a certain pastor or a certain representative or a certain senator or a certain political person. What is it? In your heart, what is it? What causes you to look away from Christ? Or who causes you to look away from Christ to this other person? And you're so wrapped up in this other person that you... Put your eyes off of Christ. You know, these people I'm talking about, a relationship with a guy or a girl, a pastor, a professor, a senator, a representative, again, they can all be good. But none of them, none of them replace the supremacy of Christ in our lives. These Hebrews let angels replace Jesus. What are you replacing Jesus with, dear friend? You know, when we zoom in on the son and the servant, right? The messenger, sometimes we make the mistake that the servant is better than the son or the messenger must be better than the message. That's a mistake. And friend, this text is causing you to say, let's look at the title of Christ. Christ's title should be greater than any person or anything in my life. Let me see, who, who amongst us has been called Son of God or begotten from the Father? None of us, only Jesus. The title Son of God is the greatest title you can have. So what do we learn? We learn that Jesus is better, right? So don't give up. Secondly, look at the worship. We've looked at two Old Testament texts. Let's look at the third one. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. It's quoted in verse 6. Look at verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all angels, let all God's angels worship him. Okay. Jesus is better because Jesus is to be worshiped instead of angels. What's the primary function of an angel? Did you know Psalm 103 answers this question? There's two primary functions of angels. The first one is to worship God, and the second one is to do His will by being God's messengers. Look at this verse from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word. Obeying the voice of His word, bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. So again, the first function of the angel is to worship God. The angel here does it, blessing the Lord. Secondly, the angel does the will of God. So the angel obeys God. But angels bring a wow factor. So shouldn't we worship the angel? Do you know who in the Bible tried to worship an angel? Do you remember? John. John. The one who was a disciple of Jesus. For those of you in the Revelation class, you're going to get to this verse. It's going to be a while. This is Revelation 22. Look at it. In Revelation 22, the Bible says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and prophets. And with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. You say, I'm so mature in my faith, I will never worship anything but God. Guess who messed that up? The Apostle John. (laughs) And if John can do it, we can do it. Giving something worship that doesn't deserve worship. And the angel corrected him. You remember a minute ago we read from Isaiah 6 the seraphim was saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Did you know that in John chapter 12 Jesus talks about that text and here's what he said. He said Isaiah spoke these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Well who is the Lord that Isaiah was talking about? It's Jesus. Again Isaiah's not just predicting Jesus, he's talking about jesus and jesus even says he was talking about him in john 12 that we should worship christ and christ only but what do we learn from the angel's example i mean the angel in revelation 22 just gave us a good example right don't worship me worship christ let's go back to that christmas story right after those shepherds were sore afraid what did those angels do there was a host singing Glory to the angels, right? Glory to God. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God of the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we see clearly that angels are not to be worshipped. And by their example, they teach us to worship who? God. So again, you say, Adam, that's great what does that have to do with me? How does this apply to our lives? Let's look at it, friends. You see, the wow factor took over for these early Christians. And they mistakenly worshipped the creator. Or they they worshipped the creation, right? The angel. Instead of the creator. But friend, what is it for you? For these Hebrews, it was angels, but what is it for you? What is it that you and I worship instead of Christ? Maybe it's not an angel, but maybe it's an ability that God gave you. Is it a musical ability or sports ability? Is it some type of entertainment? Is it some type of talent? Is it an athlete, a sports team? Is it a job? Is it a boss? Is it a relationship? What is it that makes you go, wow, and you end up wor- worshiping the, cre- the creation instead of the creator? Those of you who know me, you know I love sports. And those of you who know me really well know I, I love football. I mean, I had Brandon and his girls over the house yesterday, and we watched the Tennessee Volunteers win a game. No, I got nothing from that, Nothing. <laughs> you're like i'm in north carolina i don't care we, we had a great time we had a great time watching the sport and hanging out you know this afternoon i will probably lay on the bed and fall asleep watching the panthers because that just puts you to sleep <laughs> no nah, i'm trying to get behind bryce and you know i went to seminary with frank Reich. i did i don't know if y'all know this but he has an MDiv from rts charlotte But as much as I love sports, particularly football, what makes me very sad um, is what's happening right now at this very moment all over this nation. There are people gathering in their homes right now and their entire day, this entire Lord's Day, is dictated by the NFL schedule. What they're wearing, what, you know, the seating in their house where their TV is and they're completely ignoring the Lord on the Lord's day. And they're choosing to worship the gridiron instead of God. And they're so focused on this sport that they're giving this sport all the praise and honor and glory and not even having a thought about God. You know, sports can be a good thing. But when they replace God, when, when, they come, when they become the object of our worship, when we remove Jesus from his throne and we worship the creature instead of the creation, we've got a problem. For these Hebrews, it was angels. For many people sitting in front of their table, what is it for you? What is it for me? The Bible says, worship God and worship God only. Only Jesus is holy, holy, holy. So what do we learn? We learn that Jesus is better. So don't, don't give up. So we've learned he's had a better title. We've learned he's the only one to be worshipped. Let's look at that third one, kingship. We've looked at three Old Testament verses so far. Let's look at 4 and 5. This is verses 8 and 9. I'm coming back to verse 7. I know I'm skipping that. Let's go to 8 and 9 and then 13 because this this text tells us that Jesus is God and King while the angels are servants. We should focus on Jesus because He's King. Verses 8 and 9 say... But of the Son, he says, your throne, okay, there's a king word, throne. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. That was Psalm 45. Now, jump to verse 13, because this is Psalm 110. And to which of the angels has he ever said... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Okay, so let's start with verses 8 and 9. We'll talk about them, then we'll jump down to 13. So in verses 8 and 9, the author is quoting Hebrews 45, which talks about the throne of God. And the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is the one who sits on the throne. So here's a question. How long have angels reigned on a throne? Never. And it says Jesus reigns forever, which makes him eternal, not having a beginning or end. Are the angels the same? No, because the angels had a beginning, right? They are created And notice in this verse, the author of Hebrews applies kingship to Jesus by talking about his throne. He says it's God's throne which makes Jesus God. The author says that Jesus is fully God. So I have a question for you. What's better? Is it better to have God as king or his servants as angels. The Bible teaches us God as king is better than servants and angels. Look at verse 13. It's the quote of Psalm 110. Question What angel has ever been placed at God's right hand? What angel did God say, Come sit at my right hand? What's the answer? None. None angels. Only Jesus can sit there. Why? Because Jesus is better. The Bible says, At the name of angels, every knee shall bow. and every At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess, right? It's under Jesus' feet that all kingdoms, there are all kingdoms and authorities. So let's zoom in and ask the question, what does this have to do with me? Let me ask you a question. Why would we want the king's servant to be in charge of our lives? Why would we want a fallible created servant, a temporal servant to be in charge of our lives when we could have the the creator, right? When we could have the uncreated, the infallible, the eternal, the perfect God as king reigning over our hearts instead. For the Hebrews, it was angels. What is it for you? What temporal thing is sitting on the throne of your heart in a place where Jesus needs to be sitting? Who's the king of your heart? What person, what thing, what talent is the king of your heart? What, what thing in your life has God ever said, yeah, put that on your heart because that's better than my son? It's nothing. We make a mistake, friends, when, when we let the secular rule our decisions, when the world rules our wants instead of Jesus. And for some reason, we think temporal idols should govern us instead of the eternal God. So who is governing your heart? Is it the temporal or the eternal? Is it the things of the world or is it King Jesus? I encourage all of us, if there is anything sitting on the throne of your heart that's not named Jesus, remove it. Mortify it, that's what Paul says. Why? Because Jesus is better. Don't give up. Finally, Jesus is better because he's the creator jump back to verse 7 the psalmist writes of creation of the angels he says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire verses 10 through 12 says you lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish, but you remain, and they will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and, yours, and your years will have no end. Okay, let's start with verse 7, which is Psalm 104. The Bible is saying, just as God created wind and fire, He created angels. Angels did not create God, but God created angels. Do you see the creature-creator distinction here? That's huge. Huge. The creature-creator distinction, because they're not on the same level. So many times we put the creature above the creator and let the creature speak down to the creator, but God says, no, I am sovereign on my throne. The, the creator speaks down to the creation. In fact, these angels, they're simply servants. Do you remember last week when we read out of Colossians 1, it was our call to worship. Remember the memory clue, right? Chapter 1, if you want to have high Christology, go to what? John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. That's your memory clue, chapter 1. Colossians 1 says this, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And here it is. All things were created through him and for him. What this tells us is that angels weren't just created by Jesus, they were created for Jesus. And we learned just a moment ago, one of the purposes of angels is to worship God. So yes, angels are created to worship Jesus. So Jesus is better. Look at verses 10 through 12 as I talk about this. In speaking of Jesus, the writer says, it's Jesus who laid the foundation of the earth. So when the psalmist is writing, God laid the foundation, Hebrews is saying, it's talking about Jesus. It's Jesus who created the skies. And when creation wears out, Jesus will always remain. Creation is mutable, but Jesus is immutable. He will not change. So, Pastor Adam, how does this apply? this is the plot of my life these hebrews were thinking about angels and they said that which is made these angels must be better than the maker (laughs) that which is created must be better than the creator but friends do you see how crazy that is what is it in your life dear friends that is created that rules your life instead of the creator Let's all examine our hearts and see if the creation is sitting on the throne instead of the creator. It was Calvin who said our heart is like an idol factory. And I'm not talking about idols made of wood or metal. I'm talking about that which is in your heart, which we something created that we put in front of God. What's in your heart? Is it, is it a possession? Is it a pride? Is it a lust? Do you ever think... Creations are better than the creator. Friend, let's find those things in our lives. And what does the Bible say? Mortify them. That the creator might sit on the throne. Why? Because Jesus, friends, Jesus is better. Friends, what can you take away from this text today? I hope all this has made sense. I know that was a lot. Just some quick points. What have we learned we've learned today that the entire Bible is about Jesus, right? Not just Matthew to Revelation, but Genesis to Revelation. Luke 24, 44, hide it in your heart. The law, the prophets, and the writings are all about Jesus. And today, the author of Hebrews is teaching us how to properly understand that Old Testament. Why? Because Hebrews is the handbook to the Old Testament. So we've got to answer this question. What wows you? What is it? What wows you so much that you look away from Jesus? Think about these four words, title, worship, king, and creator. We've learned today that Jesus has a better title than any person we meet in life. So if a preacher or a professor or a teacher or a guy or a girl wows you, Make sure that they never replace Jesus. Because Jesus should have the highest title. Son of God is greater than any title that man might have. Secondly, worship. Only Christ should be worshipped. Colossians says all things were made by Him and for Him. Not only angels, but that includes us as well. We were made for the worship of God, we need to worship Him, and the angels actually teach us that, don't they? King, only Jesus should be the King of your heart. I encourage you, dear friend, if anything is sitting in the King's chair that's not named Jesus in your heart, get rid of it, mortify it, put it off, as Paul says, and put on Christ, and finally, Jesus is our Creator. Our misguided thoughts say to us, the creation must be better than the creator. But I ask you, what idol that we have is better than God? Nothing. Nothing at all. As we close this morning, we said that the angels came with a wow factor, right? But in Jesus' first advent, there wasn't that much wow. It was a little baby being born in a barn and laid in a manger. But friend, that was his first advent. That was Jesus coming as the humble lamb of God. But I've got some news for you. When he comes back in his second advent, he's not coming back as the humble, mild lamb of God. How's he coming? He's coming as a triumphant lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if you ever thought about saying, Wow, listen to this. This is how Jesus is coming back. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise, and those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. And we will always be with the Lord. And friends, one day when we get to heaven, we will join with the angels in awe, in wow of Jesus saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord who was and is and is to come. Let's pray together. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to you again today thanking you for the preached word of God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that, uh, uh, that you sent your angels. But Lord, let us never put angels or anything else in front of thee. For you, Lord, have the greatest title, the greatest worship. For you are king and creator. And let us honor you in all those ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.